Welcome to the Security Ledger Podcast. I'm Paul Roberts, Editor-in-Chief at the Security Ledger. In this episode of the podcast number 246. We did the full first like investor partner pitch, like I want to say a week or two later. And we did it at Santana Row in San Jose, which locals will be familiar with anyway. We did it and we go to a bar right after to celebrate, right? And literally we're in the bar and it's the same day. Everything is shutting down. They kick us out early because lockdown started. So this is really crazy. Uh, this is the last call to end last calls. Yes, exactly. <laughs> this is the last call for about eight the months. The flatten the curve call. Exactly. Yeah. The COVID pandemic proved to be a make or break moment for many companies. The sudden shift from in-office to remote work disrupted long-established work patterns and had ripple effects throughout the economy, from commercial real estate to the restaurant and dry cleaning industries. For technology startups, however, the effects were more muted. The flexible work arrangements and heavy reliance on managed cloud-based infrastructure and tooling that characterized startups often meant that life during COVID was business as usual. But what about trying to launch a startup in the midst of an emerging global pandemic? That's something that's a lot harder to pull off. But our guest today managed to do it. Josh McCarthy is the chief product officer and co-founder of Revelstoke, a San Francisco-based startup in the SOAR space, that's security, orchestration, automation, and response. In this conversation, Josh and I talk about the challenge of starting up Revelstoke just as the COVID pandemic was starting to shut down pretty much everything else. We also talk about the growing need for automation in the cybersecurity space as the demand on security practitioners mount. With ever more data to sort through from security tools and point products, picking the security needle out of the stack of needles is more important than ever. It's also the type of job that the human brain is really ill-suited to. Josh and I talk about how companies are trying to manage that challenge and how the source space is evolving to meet that demand. To start out, I asked Josh to talk about Revelstoke and what a ski town in British Columbia has to do with security automation. I'm Josh McCarthy, co-founder and chief product officer at Revelstoke Security. Excellent. Josh, welcome to the Security Ledger podcast. Happy to be here. It's great to have you. Okay, so for our listeners who may not have heard of Revelstoke, just tell us a little bit about the company and what you do. Yeah, happy to do that. So for those that have heard the name Revelstoke, it's probably because they're skiers. <laughs> so Revelstoke yes. is... So it's a, when you Google it, it's a town in British Columbia. Yes, that's There's exactly. a story behind that. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm one of the two co-founders. The other is Bob Cruz. He's our CEO and he's an avid skier. And so he does skiing all the time. And when we went out to found the company... I said, Bob, whatever you do, I can't be in charge of naming it <laughs> because it will be something horrible and dumb. And so he, he came up with Revelstoke, like his first take, it sounded great. And uh, we went with it. For those that have heard the name Revelstoke, that's probably the context they, they've heard it in for most. So I must say, it's a good name. It's a good name. Yeah. It's, it's got a Revel. It's yeah. got Stoke. Yeah. <laughs> Sounds and cool. But yeah. It also has some history behind it. Yeah, Gives us cool. an eventual location for an offsite. So. I was going <laughs> to say. Yeah. That said, you are not based in Revelstoke, no. Columbia. You are based in California. Correct. Although we're a very spread out team. So we were founded right at the start of COVID. In fact, we did the first investor pitch at RSA, the first one that they shut down or almost shut down like in the middle in 2020. In 2020. Yeah. 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 I was at that. 
And so it, the funding took longer to close than we thought because no one knew how to operate in the new world at that point. And we didn't, we started pitching and didn't get the funding closed until July of the same year. So it was very interesting navigating that process with yeah. the, an unknown over our heads the whole time. I remember that RSA, it was, you felt like you were in Star Wars where they're, where they like slide through the closing doors or just, you felt like things were shutting down like all around you. And it was yep. just like, let's just get through this and get home. And then everything's going to shut down. Yep. Yeah, we did. It was funny because we did the full, speaking of that exact thing, we did the full first like investor partner pitch, like I want to say a week or two later. And we did it at Santana Row in San Jose, which locals will be familiar with anyway. We did it and we go to a bar right after to celebrate, right? And literally we're in the bar and it's the same day. Everything is shutting down. They kick us out early because lockdown started. So this is really crazy. Uh, this is the last call to end last calls. Yes, exactly. <laughs> this is the last call for about eight the months. The flatten the curve call. Yeah. yeah. So what, looking back on it, it's in some ways starting a company from scratch during the pandemic, maybe not such a bad thing because there's a lot of, a lot of runway when you're starting a company. There's a lot of downtime where you're not out there actively trying to sell yep. or so was it looking back, was it good? Was it a good thing to start during a pandemic or not? I don't, uh, maybe there's pros and cons for sure. I think one of the pros was that it allowed us to hire wherever we wanted because there wasn't going to be a physical office for the foreseeable future. And so yeah, that was like that, off the table. Yeah, exactly. And so that part was cool because it let us hire in a new and different way that I had never done before. And it's worked out really great for us so far. And I think we would have missed out on that if it wasn't for COVID. Uh, so that part was good. The, the only negative is you can't all meet as a team, right? Like yeah. you're trying to build these bonds early on, especially in it's all over Zoom, which was a little different. We had an advantage in that even today, most people at Revelstoke have worked with at least one other person before. So everybody has worked with probably half the people or more at right. previous companies. So that that got us over that hurdle a bit, but it, it it's still, it's nice to meet in person from time to time, which just wasn't an option early on. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know about you, but like in the past probably six months, these sort of, oh, I'm about to go meet this person for the first time who I've actually been working with for years, Yep. <laughs> but we've never actually met face to face and we're going to meet for the first time. And it's like such a strange experience. I mean, one thing that's interesting is you know, when you're starting a company, obviously, usually for startups, particularly in kind of Silicon Valley, office space is a huge expense for startups. It's just going to be a big part of whatever your funding round is going to provide. Mm -hmm. I'm guessing for you guys, it was maybe less so now, but I guess for you guys in the context of the pandemic, it was like, Let's not even bother looking for office space. We we did because you have to have an address for certain like shipping and places and bills yeah. and all that stuff. Yeah. And so we ended up going with like a, they're called spaces and they're like a offshoot of Regis. And so we just rented a space from them. It was small, but we only had two people that were going in full time at that point. But it was completely fine for how we were kind of architected <laughs> employee wise. So that saved us a ton of money. So you're in the sore space and. Talk to us. That is a really busy, interesting space in the information security industry. SOAR is security orchestration, automation, and response. Is that, do I have it right? Yep. You got it. Nailed it. Congratulations. <laughs> nailed, nailed my Gartner <laughs> acronym. So I guess for our listeners, I mean, they're a pretty technical bunch or information security people by and large, but just give us the elevator pitch. What is SOAR? And talk to us a little bit about kind of Revelstoke and your unique 
perspective or take on SOAR, which is, again, yeah. a category that's been around for a while. SOAR is about achieving efficiency in the SOC or in a security team. It doesn't necessarily have to be a SOC in, by automating away things that don't actually require a human, right? So we would always tell you that we want humans focused on things that actually require a person to do them, not you know, if you're looking at something like phishing, you shouldn't be manually copying and pasting all the URLs and DNS names and all that stuff and looking them up. There's just a ton of manual repetitive work that goes along yeah. with a lot of alerts that get generated from various technologies or from the users themselves. And by automating away a bunch of steps in that in those flows, you can save enormous amounts of time and energy. And that can be then used to just save money because you may not need as much headcount or something like that, or you can buy new products, or it could be used to then your analysts can spend more time hunting for novel things, things that are much harder to find, to take more thought and looking around. There's a lot of benefits to having a SOAR and automating away that work that doesn't need a person to do it. And then on top of that, I firmly believe that case management is a critical component of SOAR because it allows sure. you to extend those automation capabilities to the analysts directly while they're working the case, right? And so again, it's all about that efficiency and that also puts up some guardrails, right? Because you can define a process for how someone should respond. So now your brand new analyst is responding in the same way as your seasoned guy because it's just a step-by-step -step process inside the SOAR system. So that's also a huge benefit. Yeah, I mean, this is a real challenge within the information security space is we got tons of tooling, right? We got tons of great point products. And yet at the end of the day, you need a human or something like it to be able to make sense of the output of those tools. And the noisier the tool, the harder it is for human beings to do that. So this is yep. a great case for automation to sort through that and figure out what's important. And what, yeah, what humans are really good at is turning that off or ignoring it when <laughs> yeah. it bothers yes. them too many yes. times. So yes. Zor can really help with that. Who are Revelstoke's clients? Because again, there there's some pretty big players in the source space. There are some established products. You're a new company. So what's new here and what are you bringing to the table that, that you think is an unmet need in the marketplace? Yeah. So it's funny. So I'll come to our or a little bit of our origin story as I explain this, because it'll play into it. But so Bob and myself were both early employees at, at Demisto, one of the earliest SOAR vendors. I think Phantom was the only earlier one. And we took that from just a handful of customers all the way through the Palo Alto acquisition. And we actually left and left security automation space altogether and went and did something else in security. And during the course of all of our meetings at this other company, we kept getting dragged back into automation discussions because we obviously go back to the same people we've sold to over the years. And a lot of them we had approached with Dunisto. And what they would tell us at the end of our meetings is, look, I'm not going to renew Dunisto or I bought one of the other products and I need to know what I should buy instead with that money because we're just not happy. You guys are now neutral. What do you think? And we heard that just a bunch of times. And digging into the reasons, they were really consistent. So the overwhelming number one reason why people weren't renewing was complexity. With, without like developers attached to their SOC or to the security right. team, they just couldn't progress. Like as soon as right. the, the pre-sale resource from the vendor went away post-sale, so did the resource that was needed to do all the work. It doesn't help either that the companies that had someone that could do that coding and the security work was probably the most recruited person on the security team as well. And so it ended up being like a single point of failure. And so complexity was the overall eight or nine out of 10 people we talked to, that was their number one problem. A smaller group 
maybe one in 10 or two in 10 that did have the security people with programming experience or access to developers to, to work on their playbooks and integrations and things like that, they got blocked on scale. So a lot of the original SOAR systems were not cloud-based. They were developed to be more on-prem, more monolithic, and they would fall over, and a lot of them still do. And so that that was a big problem because you had the right resources, but then they would start automating, it would just blow up in their face and become really fragile and unstable. And heard both of those things just a ton of times. And finally, Bob and myself have been on the sales and me on the engineering side of sales a long time. You can only tell us about these problems so many times where we just want to fix them so that we'll take that renewal. And these are, we're in the space. We know a lot about automation. Let's put it to good use. And so we decided to leave the company we had went to after Palo Alto and found Revelstoke to, to deal with this problem. And what we came up with is something called our unified data layer. And so what we do is normalize all the data coming into the platform, but also normalize how you interact with the integrations connected to it. And what that does is drastically reduce the complexity, but also has a bunch of other benefits. Like now you can swap products, for example, like if you're a Microsoft Defender shop and you wanna to move to CrowdStrike, boom, you don't even have to change your workflow. CrowdStrike, even though it has radically different API calls to do the same thing as Defender, we've normalized that so it just works like you don't have to do anything and so that that's a huge benefit especially to the more sophisticated shops that were were feeling that they got vendor locked once they got enough progress in their sore platform. that's the other danger right is that lock-in right like we've yeah. all done we've done all this customization and now we're over a barrel because yep and they couldn't yeah. even tell you where they put all the custom code at that point right. <laughs> in a lot of cases right. yeah. so it's really messy so that that's been our main solution and there's other things like we go with a different workflow designer view that's a little more based for the analysts and that kind of thing but the primary thing we do is this unified data layer and then our cloud native design is the scale answer. And talk about the customers and what problems they're coming to you with and what, where, what's the utility of your platform in terms of threat detection, incident response, all the things that companies are struggling with right now? Yeah, I would say about half the customers coming to us today have not ever purchased a SOAR and the other half, maybe not quite half, like 40% or so. Uh-huh bought a sore and shelved it yeah, or have well. yeah or have a single production flow and that's it because that's all they could get done and uh, and again not it's not a knock on them it's some of these systems like if you're not writing like raw python all day you just you're not going to get anything done so that's a spread we're seeing and they're coming to us if you break it down to those two buckets for the greenfield people they've heard the promise of sore and they, they want to have it delivered upon for them and they've talked to their peers who've had bad experiences and don't want to also have a bad experience. And so I want to make sure that they can not have to have the same coding requirements and actually use the system. So they're coming to us to solve the same sort of use cases that the earlier players saw a lot of phishing, a lot of um, EDR, malware, anything that's a high alert volume is something they're looking to solve first. And kind of work your way down to the more unique stuff as you go. And then for the other people, it's about like the ones that maybe had SOAR, it's about not repeating the mistakes of the past and for the ones that are deployed, like making something that's scalable and not fragile. And a lot of them have systems that just you know, every day or every other day are being rebuilt because they just can't keep with the load and they just want to stop the madness. Yeah, I mean, it's a gap between what you read in the marketing literature and the reality of deploying some of these products into production is... It always blows me away. Yeah, that's why for us, we don't, we consciously don't want to say no code. We go with low code if you're yeah. marketing in most places. And that's because to get that last mile, you might need a little bit of code. Each company does 
unique stuff in a lot of cases. And they want some unique metric or reporting item or whatever it is. And we strive to get something in, in production and showing a ton of value without code. But if you want to get that last little sprinkle, you want to gold plate that thing, that's going to be a little bit of code in a lot of cases. And so we certainly want to enable that. And uh, we just, we want to be realistic. We don't want to, we don't want to come in yeah. and say, you're not going to touch code. And you pull up the system. You're like, what's all this JSON? Like, why am I staring right. at this? So right. that, that, that's our approach. I know in, in everybody's dreams, it's like minority report, right? And that's like the future of store, <laughs> right? Where you're kind of moving boxes with your hands and like zooming in on things. But we're a few years out from that. So what, but is no code or is no code, you think the future of the source space really just get that expensive, hard to retain developer out of the process and have it so that a, a SOC analyst without necessarily a lot of coding experience can customize it however they want. Yeah. And what we actually saw for the most successful customers in when we were at Tomisto were ones that the same person that was doing the coding also understood the security and business logic for the sure. workflow itself. Yeah. It's just really hard to iterate when there's two different or even sometimes three different people that makes it really hard. So if we can take out a coder <laughs> makes that process not only less complicated, but you end up with a better product because the person that knows the logic is the same person writing the thing. I, again, though, I don't know if it's realistic in even the next, say, three years to say we'll get to truly no code. Mm -hmm. I think mm -hmm. we can get really close and make it really as easy as possible, but I just don't see how in some cases you don't, without, without hobbling the customer, you don't have to use a little bit of code sometimes. So the, it's an interesting time in the sort of broader infosec market, but certainly in the last year, you've seen the federal government that spent years saying really hardly anything about information security <laughs> suddenly get very chatty about guidelines and mandates, some of them just applying to federal agencies. But of course, those federal agencies buy a lot of software and services. But we had obviously the Biden executive order back in May of 2021. And then subsequent to that, we've had a lot. We've had some guidance from NIST and from other organizations. We had a memo that came out a couple of weeks ago from focus on supply chain. Yeah. Um, and especially if you look at the executive order, big emphasis on zero trust, reading between the lines, I think a, an emphasis on SOAR type capabilities, but it's an executive order, right? So it's only as good as the guy who's in office. And so what have you seen? What's been the impact of that? Yeah. And has it helped make the case for the types of technology that your company uh, sells? I think it's helped a little bit. I don't know that I've seen like a groundswell around it, but I think that in combination with, I think in the infrastructure bill, there was a bunch of money set aside to improve cybersecurity for state and local government entities like yeah. power, water, other critical infrastructure that we're seeing more movement on. So we were already in the process of doing this, but we actually have partnered recently with a company called SinSaber and they do like industrial control security type stuff, right? So by combining what we do with what they do for especially a smaller water power whatever we give them a really simplified way to work with something they may not have ever touched before because they're just too small to have worked with this type of security tooling before so that is whenever you put money behind it like that <laughs> it tends to have an impact so we are seeing more move i think all of them combined is really increasing the awareness and drive to do stuff pretty happy with that 
What what do you think? So it's interesting you bring up the industrial control system. I mean, that's that is something we've definitely seen a lot of attention to, especially with Colonial Pipeline and so yeah. on. Those critical infrastructure owner operators have tended to lag the, the financial services companies, right? And the tech firms in terms of their investment and expertise in, in InfoSec. Are you seeing a lot of interest and pickup in that area, especially given what's going on in the broader threat space? Yeah, we're just starting to see that. And that's, again, that's why we're doing some of those partnerships, like I mentioned, because it's not something, a SOAR is never going to be your source of generating an alert. But in our case, we can make the alert something that, you know, someone that may never have worked with security tools able to respond to because it's step-by-step instructions. So it's a kind of a natural fit to go in with some of these platforms that focus on something like that. SCADA systems, yeah. industrial control systems, yep. right? It's traditionally developed on a separate branch than traditional IT systems, but see it as bring, bringing all the all these into a single pane of glass yeah. in terms of- uh, Yep. And so. we're seeing physical security is getting brought in to the broader uh-huh. security team a lot now. So I, it just convergence just needs to happen. Skynet, man. Skynet. <laughs> hey, I'm not named John, so I'm saying- <laughs> <laughs> I think one question that, that sort of looms large for for me and for the industry in general is this, what Wendy Nather at 451 Group called the security poverty line, right? Which is, how do we take the types of capabilities of a Revelstoke product, some of these very capable, very powerful, but complex or expensive uh, systems and bring them down to the small, medium enterprises that make up you know, most of the companies that are out there and definitely a lot of the companies that are being targeted. And that comes down to talent acquisition as well as technology acquisition. Is what, What's your take on that? And, and yeah. do you guys being a cloud, pla- do you think just being, being cloud native kind of helps lower that, help, helps bring you down into that market a little more than the legacy products? It definitely helps because they're not going to want to maintain their own installations and stuff. It's much easier to subscribe to something. But I think we're taking a two-pronged approach. The first is the partnership thing I mentioned. If we can make something streamlined that's maybe a smaller subset of the product, easier to digest for specific use cases, that, that can be very beneficial. And then the other prong would be working with SPs, MDRs, and those guys that tend to focus down market and going in that way, right? Because mm-hmm. it doesn't make economic sense for us to try to chase a 100-person company. But if they want to purchase through an MDR and MSSP, that's fantastic. Everybody wins because there is that talent gap as well that luckily the MDRs and MSSPs of the world have a lot of that talent. So that that's kind of our approach to date. Interesting. We're heading into the end of 2022, 2023. Obviously, there's some warning signs out there in the economy at large, but how do you see the new year shaping up and what's on the radar there at Revelstoke, both in terms of feature development and use cases? Yeah, I mean, we are extremely focused on just acquiring customers and making sure the customers we've already acquired are staying really successful. So that's priority number one. And luckily, we've not seen a huge drop off in cybersecurity spend, at least not yet. Yeah. With, yep. the, we've had our customers tell us they're stopping spend in some other infotech areas, but so far, other than a Cyber, few outliers. Cyber's kind of recession proof. I'm <laughs> yeah, not sure I've ever seen a cyber so, recession. Yeah. No, I, yeah, I was at FireEye for the 2008 recession and it didn't drop then <laughs> either. So knocking on wood, it stays the same, but so far it's, yeah. that hasn't been a big issue for us. Yeah. Josh, it's been a, this has been a, a pleasure. And if people want to learn more about Revelstoke, Josh, where should they go? Just our website, revelstoke.io. You can find out all sorts of stuff there. There's contact forms, all that good stuff that you'd expect. Listen, thanks so much for coming on and speaking to us on Security Ledger Podcast and best of luck. I'm sure we'll have you back on. Awesome. Thank you so much. We were speaking with Josh McCarthy. He's the chief product officer and co-founder at Revelstoke Security. 
a San Francisco-based firm that makes SOAR technology. You can check them out at Revelstoke, that's R-E-V-E-L-S-T-O-K-E dot I-O.